welcome back for those who do listen to this. Um, this is episode three. Um, we don't have a title for this yet because we haven't come across an odd topic for us to think of a pun for. Um, we we are... title them posthumorously. We do. Like five seconds after we stop pressing record, it's like, right, what are we going to call this? The second the corpse goes cold. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, we're joined by Caitlin today. Um, Caitlin, um, do you want to give us some information about yourself? Hi everyone, I'm Caitlin. Uh, I used to go to school with Gina and Q back in New Olden times. I'm now an English student, I go to Cambridge, and uh, this is relevant information for what I'm going to talk about, I'm not dyslexic for no reason. Um, and uh, I spend a lot of my time writing about uh, the LGBTs and um, doing competitive debating, which owns my soul. Yeah, that was a pretty comprehensive introduction. I think we found the most organised person on this podcast today. <laughs> We've peaked. It's, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm always available for extra topics. <laughs> so, the plan was, I was going to ask a few questions to sort of get us into things, um, but as you both know, I have been awake for a grand total of about 20 minutes, <laughs> um, living that night shift life. Um, so, Caitlin, I have one question for you, mm-hmm. and it's it's more of a, a guess. Yeah. What date are we going to officially come out of lockdown? Uh, I'm going to be pessimistic so we can feel better when it's earlier, but I would say, like, proper end to lockdown with, like, things being open properly again, uh, September. A specific date, though. We, we, I'm going to collect this from all our guests. Okay, um, let's say the 15th, so then we're out in time for my birthday on the 19th. <laughs> okay, 15th of September. Then we're not yes. out in time for Gina's birthday. Wow. Oh, you no. really picked oh. your favourites. <laughs> wow. Sorry, Gina. It's a doggy dog world out here. <laughs> Only one person can have the post-Covid birthday party. Shall it be mine? I can accept that. That's pretty friendly. So, um, university debating. Was there anything in particular about that you wanted to go for, or was it just in general? I guess just in general, because it's it's a very weird and very, very specific sort of world and circuit, and it's something that the people who are into it know a lot about and do a lot of it. Um, and I think most people, rightly so, don't ever think about it. And it was sort of the concept of how university debating works by an essay by Sally Rooney, who wrote Normal People, Conversation with Friends. And it's a really great essay called Even If You Do. It was at college. Sally Rooney was the top competitive debater in Europe. And she wrote an essay basically explaining how competitive debating works, um, how the sort of circuit is, um, and how the debates are structured, but also how it can be very competitive, very toxic, um, and how it's uh, it's really difficult to get to the top. So basically, is like sort of the general there are lots of different kinds of um, debate formats and a lot of people at high schools and universities all around the world do debate but the debate that's like most popular and is the format used at the world university championships and the european university worlds and euros as they're like known, uh, is british parliamentary debate so it's like a mock-up of the style of debating that happens in the british parliament so there are two sides and there are two teams on each side each team is two people so when you enter a debate contest have to have a partner and it's you and your partner um and so that so you have another team on your side and two teams on the opposing side so you have the government and the opposition basically the side opposing topic 
and the proposing it. And so you have what you call the opening government theme. So they start off the debate, then go to um, opening opposition. And you go back and forth in the theme. So, um, so the first speaker of opening government position, second speaker of opening government, and then you have closing and closing opposition in the same way. But something you have to do in these debates is you don't only have to beat the opposing side, you have to beat the other team on your own side. So what, as well as con- like explicitly refuting all the material the opposing team brings to you, you have to subtly undermine all the material brought to you by the team on your side. So you have to constantly emphasise why your arguments are so much more important than theirs. And, um, and you basically have to like explain to the judge why you win the entire debate sound too bad if you think about it in terms of like you're given time to prepare for it or whatever but you're not you get the motion the motion is the topic of debate 15 minutes before the debate starts and so you very intensely have to prepare your your topic so that you call it your case you have to prepare your case with your partner in those 15 minutes you're not allowed to use the internet you're not allowed to look anything up you have to rely entirely on your own knowledge uh, and it's not really about whether or not the argument is, is like what would be considered morally good as long as it's well argued and well explored you will still win the debate mm-hmm. and this happens uh, you know universities and also secondary schools all over the world um, and and most universities have a debating team and all of the big universities in the UK and Ireland have what's called an IV so there are two types of debating competitions to go against an IV and an open so an IV stands for an intervarsity, and an intervarsity basically means competition amongst university students. Um, varsity is like a, a word for university, but particularly associated with Oxford and Cambridge. So like the Cambridge newspaper where I write for is called Varsity, or the rugby match between Oxford and Cambridge is called the Intervarsity. So um, I think, I'm not 100% sure if it actually began there, but that's the So an intervarsity is um, basically just university students, and it could go up to PhD students as long as you're a student at the university. And they're hosted by all different um, different unions. So I went to Trinity College Dublin IB. I went to Durham IB. I helped run the Cambridge IB. And then the other kind of debate, which is much harder, is the open. Open is one anyone can enter. And a lot of get a lot of the same competitors. Like a lot of people from universities go to opens. But opens are also available for anyone who wants to. So if you're like. Uh, you know, a sort of a, a champion debater at university and you've now graduated, you can go back and enter an open and win it again. Uh, and people who do that, who are really, really good, really well known, constantly winning are is that known very as common then? Yes, it is, yeah. You can like, do a lot of people just keep doing this? Yeah, they do. A lot of people get good at it and then stay really good. And you have like, um, every generation sort of, you have like your like champion debaters. There are all, there are a few different ones. They come from a variety of universities, but Trinity College Dublin is particularly well represented mm-hmm. um, in terms of real champion debaters. They're the kind of people you see at every competition. You know how great they are. You're a bit worried about facing them because they're really brilliant. Um, and so that's and, and a lot of them will carry on debating or judging after they graduate. I was made to watch a documentary on well, mates is a strong word. I was I watched a documentary on Harrow with one of my flatmates last term. Yeah, and you know how they have like the sports day where the old boys come back and just beat some children. Yeah, that that is the same energy as you telling me people just keep doing university debating opens. Basically, it is. It's like uh, there was one guy uh, who came to the LSE Open, which last weekend, who is uh, nearly forty. Who just likes to come back and win and win and win? Um, 
and it's admittedly addictive even if you don't do very well like i lose or come pretty low down on this but i keep doing them because they're something like weirdly captivating about it and you get like um you get ranking so you get ranked based on your team but you also get the speaker tab and like the tab is basically just the ranking but it's of every individual team so when you look at the tab you don't only look to see how high you've come you look to see if you beat your partner you look to see if you beat the other people from your uni mm-hmm. and it's uh, it gets you know quite quite pressurized especially because these compositions are huge like um some of them have like sort of 250 to 300 meters so so it's like impressive to come like 150th on the tab because they're so big um mm. do you think they should make this into a reality tv show I think they should. I think, I, I think drag it. race and university debasing have a lot more in common than people would think. I agree, um, and I feel like you can have like a sort of dance bums angle in terms of debating coaches. Oh because, yes, because you get um, yeah, most universities with a debating team have debate training or debate coaching, um, and it gets hardcore. Like I go to debate coaching every Wednesday. Um, and like it's each of the societies are run differently. Um, they're all affiliated to the university, but some of them like their own small society. Uh, debating at Cambridge is linked to the Cambridge Union, which is like a wider speech and debate society. Um, and usually, you get to go to the competitions uh, for free because your university will fund you, um, which is more exciting than competitions are in person. The um, debating for free on Zoom is like, free, but um, you can typically get um, free trip abroad. They're like, uh, I mean, if I'm they're charging you for the Zoom code, it's a dire situation. It does hurt a little bit. And like, I, I debated in the Women's World Open this um, December, and if it had happened in person, I would have got to go to Jakarta. Oof. Yeah. Um, and actually, that's another thing. There is, um, there's like an increasing trend of having like women's and gender minorities competitions because at the top levels, competitive debating is very, very male dominated. Um, this does not pre- surprise me. Yeah, it's perhaps because it relies a lot on like loving interpersonal aggression and the sound of your own voice. Um, <laughs> I mean, Oof, fair, that's I also love take. That. I also love that. So perhaps I'm just like one of the boys. So, do you have yeah. a favourite debater who like? Because I'm assuming there are people who are just known, kind of like chess masters, who is yes, exactly. not not a man. <laughs> well, Sally Rooney, I suppose. I mean, she's now a famous writer who's actually doing cool things with her life. But um, besides she, debating, yeah. But she's fat. She was fantastic. You can watch her speeches on YouTube, which I sometimes do, and she's just mind-blowingly great. She's like what I aspire to be like as a debater. Um, and which I, I know I shouldn't find it encouraging. But the whole point of her writing her essay on debate is to be like, why did I do this? She like she just like I don't think I'll ever want something so meaningless again. But I read it and thought, this is amazing because she talks about being a novice debater going to competitions pretty much every weekend losing and feeling like it's you know less and less worthwhile because she's so tired and stressed she loses and the seven minute interlude in which she gives the speech because they're all seven minutes the only like um but she also says if you keep going you can get great because so few people stick it out when it gets demoralizing like that so she talks about how it's like a real game of system. So she says that the ideal novice debater who wants to become a champion has uh, low self-esteem, and is extremely determined. If you have those qualities, you can end up being a champion debater, but at what cost? Well, I have a low self-esteem, so I'm already winning. Just putting that oh, You're on the way. You can do it. Um, uh, yeah, Gina, do you have any opinions to add to debate? Because <laughs> you've been um, quite quiet. <laughs> 
I'm just trying to find a place to come in, really. (laughs) We have a very passionate guest. We've been (laughs) out-debated on our own podcast. I was joking with Caitlin the other day, saying we're going to end up, like, I'm going to end up becoming the guest and and she'll be the uh, the (laughs) co-host. Oh, you Um, said you wanted merch of this, too. (laughs) I'm down. I seek merch. Caitlin only wants merch if it's her face on it. <laughs> she, we just we just see the merch in real life, and she's just photoshopped both our childhood like five year old faces with hers. Yep, <laughs> terrifying. It's, it's the doubled. Well, what I was gonna say is because um, from talking to you outside of um, this, I know you do a lot of debates. Are there any like hot takes that you've had to take at a debate where you've actually convinced yourself of the point? Yeah, absolutely. It's quite easy to do, surprisingly. Uh, it Sometimes it's sort of um, unsurprising because a lot of the motions are ones which you wouldn't technically have much of an opinion on either way. So it can be things like, because um, they vary all different types of motions, like some are economic, some are social, some are political, and some of them give you a little piece of information beforehand just so you can like, piece it together. Some of them are really hypothetical, like there was one motion with like, um, uh, yin and yang are conjoined twins yin commits a terrible crime yang tries to speak. this house believes that yin and yang should be in prison so, no one's ever thought about so it's not to itself of what you argue but there are times where i definitely started to think what i'm arguing even if i don't necessarily think it like i um i sort of use myself to agree with the idea that the modern left should stop characterizing the right as morally reprehensible which is not you that would typically come naturally to me or um the, I, there was an argument on um should adopted parent adopt well, their children they're adopted i think maybe i'm wrong so it's it's quite easy to be convinced but part of the reason for that is a lot of the emotions are things you wouldn't ever think about before so it's not you know this house believes gay marriage is wrong or whatever um i was once at a women's competition where the motion was about abortion and that was very controversial and quite a lot of people were not happy that that was that was used what is your favourite crime? My favourite crime? Yes. Ooh. I think arson is pretty groovy. Nice, that's a good choice. Yeah, there's not, not enough of it these days. It seems to be a common theme amongst our friend group, I think, about arson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know if we can say that in a recorded piece of evidence. <laughs> that's that's I, true. I will, make, I will make no comment in case I become famous one day. <laughs> exposed for saying you liked arson. <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying to think of something else interesting to say about university debate, but I really do think it is mainly a thing centric to the unis that really do it. Yeah, definitely. It's And it's like, when you hear about it, when you don't do it, it is the kind of thing where you think, why would anyone do that for fun? I don't think we have... I could be wrong, because I mean... The entire year has been on Zoom, but I don't think we have a big sort of university debate culture at York. I know there is a York team because I come up against them, but um, (laughs) did you lose or win? (laughs) I can't remember actually. Um, That's a political no comment. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, But also something about it that's quite weird is when you enter a competition, your university will like tend to like so you might end up competing against your own university, which has happened before. So that's a bit scary, especially because you're then comparing yourself when you go to training. Like, uh, 
masturbators who are very good. Uh, if you had to give someone what advice for starting out university debate, would it be? That was not a coherent sentence, but you know exactly what I mean. I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It would be just accept that you're going to lose a lot um, and don't do it unless uh, don't uh, don't do it unless you're prepared to lose before you get better. You're not going to be great straight off. Prepare to cry. A number of people are good when they start off, but that's because they went to private school and had debate coach school. Like that, that didn't happen to most people. So you're not going to be good straight away. And also, um, something I had to learn the hard way is if you want to improve, you have to practice. Okay. Well, um, should we move on to the next topic? Perhaps. Which was. I have it on my phone. So. Gay writers and artists of the Finde. I cannot yeah, the, say the word. The fanfic. So the fanfic is like a fan- fancy term for the uh, late 1800s. It's sort of like. Mm-hmm. 19, like the early 1900s. Um, and it means like turn of the century. It was considered like a really significant turn. Especially because the Victorian era had been going on for a long time then. And there are a lot of different cultural, literary, and artistic movements which all fit into the Victorian era. Uh, and famous writers, artists, so on, of the fan circle are people like Oscar Wilde, Aubrey Beardsley, that sort of general artistic movement. So, like, also including Oscar Wilde's whole circle of like Lord Alfred Douglas, Robbie Ross. I cannot think of Aubrey Beardsley at this point without thinking about how he wanted them to burn his like nudes and they didn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, his publishers were like, Lord, like, you've sealed that into my brain. Gina, for for context, this guy was an artist and he drew a lot of illustrations for people like Oscar Wilde and then he drew a ton of like nude ones, you know, as you do. Um, As you do. And then on his deathbed, he converted to Catholicism and was like, yo, burn my nudes. <laughs> and everyone was like, no, those are collector's pieces. We're keeping them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is considered hilarious. Some of Because all his art was in black. He like coloured anything. And it's all very sort of sinister and macabre drawings. And even in his serious illustrations, he does stuff like draws dicks in the corners or like... Um, you know, gives people weird faces, or something he used to do a lot was put Oscar Wilde's face on things like the moon or like clouds. Yeah, he um, really just went, This is going to be uh, ye olden Pepe. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and also, so Oscar Wilde and Aubrey Bensley, they're like the big guys of. They did work together and stuff. They also had like a bit of a rivalry. So Oscar Wilde was older than him. He was, you know, very established and very capitalist. But as he was getting older, people were like losing him. He was a big a bit ridiculous he you know he backed himself too hard um and and his you know confidence eventually left his downfall with his like trial for, for libel which ended up being about his sexuality and getting himself in prison but he was he was controversial even in his own circle and Aubrey Bisley was a lot younger he died when he was 25 so he was very very young when he was working he had his first serious artistic commission when he was 18 and I think that explains Probably a lot when you look at on everything exactly explains all of his work it's because it's like just a 19 year old boy being like see this epic baby i made it's a dick in the corner of my illustration it's the old-fashioned american vandal yeah (laughs) exactly so he and oscar Wilde did work together but aubrey beardsley liked to take the piss of it because he thought he was more 
was the college that was well. And in some ways, he thought like he lived in France he, uh, for a period. And both, both actually, Oscar Wilde and Aubrey Beardsley died in France. But um, Aubrey Beardsley's friend was very sophisticated, and because he had consumption on his life, he died off. I mean, kind of TV. But in in that era, consumption was like quite sexy. Um, it made thin, very sort of pallid. So so being you know thin and pale was great because it made you look rich. Um, also, Aubrey Beardsley was really, really tall, so he was like this incredibly tall thin man, you know, with sort of glamorously pallid and and dying. Um, and people the original Lee boy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he God. really was, and he had like a really distinctive manner of dress, which is very e boy. Like he used to wear um, dove grey suits and yellow gloves, and he used to carry a cane all the time. He had these fantastic hats. Um, and he used to he used to say stuff about like um, getting drunk. He like couldn't go out if um, the tassel on his walking stick was lost or um, things like that. Uh, so he was like, you that's know, that's how I feel about Zoom seminars. If, if there's so, one thing wrong, I'm not turning on the camera. It's not happening. Yeah, it's like, unfortunately, I simply cannot do it. And, and so he was like this, you know, crazy character. But also, the consumption was sexy. But people also believe that it made you like artistic and and sort of temperamental because it, it it's like a slight fever at all times. And people believe that this made you like see great things and do great things. Um, and whilst that's like probably not true, um, it is true that Aubrey Beardsley was diagnosed with consumption as a child, so he knew that his life was going to be really difficult. Sure. But as soon as he discovered that he had this like fantastic artistic talent, so he created a really huge body of work for someone that young, because he was working at like top speed, he knew he was going to die. Um, and so Speed he's. Friend. Yeah, he, he literally did like speedrun his entire career. Um, and he got a bit cocky, like all these artists who he admired when he was young, and then told him he was good, he later on went on to be horrible about them. Um, and so like that's the same fact of Oscar Wilde, because Aubrey Beardsley drew the illustrations for Oscar Wilde's play Salome. And Oscar Wilde wrote Salome in French. But Oscar Wilde's French wasn't actually that good. Um, and Aubrey Beardsley's French was this sort of sexy guy. Um, and he drew a cartoon of Oscar Wilde writing um, Salome, but with a stack of like beginner French textbooks next to him. And he was like looking up words in like my first French verbs and stuff, which, which is you know very mean, um, but very characteristic of that whole movement. Okay, so, you know, like Michael Bitchy, um and Oscar Wilde certainly could be like that. But also, when Oscar Wilde was disgraced, pretty much everyone associated with this movement was disgraced. So when when Oscar Wilde went to prison. His lover, Lord Alfred Douglas, was in trouble. His former lover, and then later best friend, Robbie Ross, was disgraced. Aubrey Beardsley was very disgraced. And all the editors and writers for this magazine called Yellow Book were disgraced too. Because um, Aubrey Beardsley was an editor on the Yellow Book, and Oscar Wilde had had, you know, a bit of a hand in its development. But when Oscar Wilde was coming out of his hotel to go on trial for being gay, he was carrying something he thought was a copy of the Yellow Book. They were like, oh, this known degenerate reads it, therefore everyone who writes for it is degenerate. So all of these people, fantastic movement of like, you know, glamorous literature they were with. But something interesting about people is that they either were or converted to Roman Catholicism. So I I have a theory that Catholicism is like particularly attractive to the decadent. Um and so these sort of, you know, movement of gay decadent loved Catholicism only because it was like an alternative to the then state religion of Catholicism, which was... I mean, have you seen some of the cathedrals? Can you blame oh, it? That is true. There are some very sexy cathedrals. 
they're so glamorous and like if you're used to sort of this very like you know english service and when england has just said we hate you you're disgusting then obviously you're going to be more attracted to something else and also because catholicism was very european it was you know quite catholicism and glamorous um and it had this huge history but also the aesthetics of catholicism like the huge glamour of it and all the statues and saints were considered like quite queer a lot of people were really fascinated by that so um, so a lot of these people converted to Catholicism. So like Oscar Wilde had a, a lifelong flirtation with Catholicism in his novel, The Picture of Dorian Gray. Dorian, when he's having a crisis about how evil he's become, is like obsessed with Catholicism. And he's got all these like rosaries and prayer books and stuff. Aubrey Beardsley, when he moved to France, he also went there because he knew he was dying and he wanted to live somewhere warm, because like warm weather was supposed to be good for consumption. And in his, there's a photo of him in his like lodgings in the south of France, and he's just surrounded by like thousands of like massive crosses and crucifixes, rosaries, and and all like so. Many of these people were obsessed with Catholicism, and they're like there were two guys who were actually a couple. So Mark Andre Rafalovich, who was a French writer, he was good friends with Aubrey Beardsley and was like very good to him in the last years of his life. Long-term boyfriend, and when I say long-term, like thirty years, really, was John Gray, who was a gay poet and Catholic priest. This does not surprise me, but I'm also really afraid we're going to end up having to title this episode Catholicism as well. It's <laughs> <laughs> too much to get in, and then it's just going to be like two Catholicism, free Catholicism. Yeah, we yeah. really sort of back ourselves into a corner of what we're going to be talking about. You're a Catholic podcast now. We can't become um, the new. What's it called? Do you know the Christian YouTube girls? Oh, oh girl yeah. We cannot make yeah. this girl define the podcast. It's it's like girl defined but decadent. We oh. teach you how to do sins rather than avoid them. Because <laughs> obviously the big win of Catholicism is that you can sin as much as you want because you can go to confession afterwards. And as long as you own up, God's like, oh, it's alright, my child. Haven't you wrote articles for like Catholic websites? Are they going to hear this and just cancel you? <laughs> Whoopsie. Well, uh, to be honest, um, I, I have written and been published about Catholicism, um, but a lot of my work on Catholicism has been about the topic. So I, I recently had an article in Panoramic um, called The Wild and Catholic Venus, um, and I wrote about stuff like how the, the Met Gala of 2018, which had a example of how counter-decadent Catholicism is, um, that was like, a nice theme I went by. Oh, it was excellent. And also, like, the Vatican lent them 50 different artifacts and garments. So the Vatican Really? Yeah, yeah. Like, um, Rick Boseman, his, um, like, priest's vestments were real. Um, Rihanna wore a real people hat. Damn. Like, they had loads of stuff. So it's like the Vatican's, like, acknowledge that this is, you know, this is a, a thing and a well-established thing. Um, but it's... Um, dichotomy a lot of catholics like don't want to to talk about because the catholic church it loves to flirt with queerness but as soon as it's confronted with actual queerness in the form of like queer people living their lives it suddenly doesn't like it mm-hmm. and it like doubles down so it's like you know I suppose, i'm not i'm not you know accusing the catholic church of queer baiting but <laughs> what is in your opinion the bigger queer baiter the catholic church or bbc sherlock <gasps> <Ooh>. <laughs> Uh, see, I, I will have full disclosure here and admit that I spent many years deeply imbe- embedded in the Sherlock fandom, reading and writing fiction, all of this stuff. Um, oh, 
I think Sherlock, because at least Catholicism has some like big notable gays, like Oscar Wilde and Aubrey Beardsley. Whereas BBC Sherlock was like, they were good friends who lived together. Oh, I had a horrible Sherlock flashback the other day because I was watching Secret Safari, which is um, it's narrated by Andrew Scott. Um, and what is Secret Safari? Secret Secret Safari is it's one of those nature programs, you know. Uh, generic um, BBC like, one. So it, so it, it is, is just very like generic. Yeah, it's just no, it's just watching this safari that's like they're looking what? after the animals. But Andrew Scott, he's commentating on these two hyenas, and one of the hyenas' name is Sherlock. And the entire time oh. I'm watching this um this program, I'm thinking, now this this narrator's voice, I recognise it, but I do not know where oh, from. No. <laughs> and as soon as he starts talking about Sherlock the hyena, it's like you know that scene in Ratatouille where yeah. <laughs> I'm just sort of transported back to my year nine self being like oh my goodness no. well, the other day I saw a TikTok which was um, I'm gonna name the major fix from different fandoms and tell me if you remember them um, and I, oh my god I got, I got whiplash hearing them because Alone on the Water, which is a, a strange, strange Sherlock fanfic um, in which Sherlock dies of a brain tumour and the plot oh. is like John Pumpsing in his last in his last days. <laughs> and it, Why are oh, fanfic writers it. like this? I know! Or like, um, I don't know if anyone read Twist and Shout, the Supernatural fanfic, which is fantastic, but it's like, it's I like did not go to Supernatural, unfortunately. I, I did like it. I didn't like it as much as Sherlock, but I did read the fic. Um, but the, so, like Mr. Chow, it's like novel length, it's a huge fanfic, um, set in the 1960s, about the Vietnam War, um, and it, like, except um, Dean and Castiel are like soldiers, um, and he relies on the song um, I Can't Help Falling in Love with You, and it's like every time a supernatural fan hears that, they're like, oh god, whoops. I have two points related to that. One, Ratatouille. <laughs> Did anyone has anyone else watched the Ratatouille musical created yes! on TikTok? The Rat of no. All My Dreams. They they wrote an entire Ratatouille musical. It's on YouTube. It's, it's like an hour long. I saw a thing where someone did videos of um, all the uh, the movies which should never be made into TikTok musicals. And it was like, oh god, please don't even put the idea out there because someone will do it. You can't manifest that. No. The second point being notable fanfics. I'm trying to think of some of those, and the only ones that come to mind are, of course, you know, the classic Dan and Phil ones. Oh, the milk fic, the hat fic. Yes. (laughs) Cursed Times, and also. Uh, oh, I can't remember what it was called, but there was this really big one in the Hitalia fandom, which oh, I have yeah. just marked myself as a war criminal by acknowledging that I went to. Um, like the Hitalia fandom, like ship Nazis and stuff. Yes, that's why I said I've acknowledged being a war criminal by attending. I will state for the record, though, I did not ship any Nazis. <laughs> I also, the main ship was. Um, I think the US and the UK. Oh god. But then like (laughs) No, but then like the law within the anime was that the UK raised the US. So there was some weird incestual Um, undertones there that I was not a fan of, so I did not ship that either. (laughs) (laughs) Can a country have an Oedipal complex? 
slightly unrelated, but this is just reminding me of scrolling through Google Plus as you do back in the day and seeing you post this stuff on Google Plus. No! <laughs> Please, I'm no! I'm so glad it's Google Plus and not a social media people may see, Ellie. I actually made my first, and, um, well, I can't, no. Yeah, I made my first internet friend on Google Plus. Um, Uh, yeah, well, uh, yeah. Talking of iconic fanfics, I mean, I who never doesn't got have fireball to the one? <laughs> I never got oh, round to it. Thank you. Yeah, um, I can't remember what it was called, but the whole thing was like there was a tin of pineapples, and everyone was like, "Damn, that hits hard," because it was like the world was—it was a post-apocalyptic fanfic where. Um, I'm gonna translate it from the fandom terms into just kind of plain, understandable themes. Uh, this kid and his uncle travel for a post-apocalyptic wasteland to try and find the kid's family and the uncle's like siblings. Uh, they finally get there and the uncle dies immediately. Oh, <laughs> that is sad. So I feel like hmm. fanfic writers—they really pick their fights. They're like, yeah, hmm, like- I choose violence today. Well, something I love about so like back in the day people used to read fic on like Wattpad and fanfiction don't they? But um, AO3 is like the place to go these days. Um, it's like all the titles, things like it's strange how life begins, and then the tags are like you know <laughs> anal fingering and stuff. Oh no, I have to mark this as explicit as well. Oh sorry. Um, <laughs> Last week it was the cat foot fetish. Now it's this. I know. Well, it's it's very cursed. Um, who who doesn't love My Immortal, the Harry Potter fanfic about Ebony Darkness, Dementia, Raven Way, um, Hogwarts resident, witch, vampire, goth, hates crabs. Why do I have a vivid memory of you all coming to my house and this just being played on the TV? <laughs> yeah, I played this on your TV. <laughs> oh god, I remember that. I was like, this is necessary. Everyone needs to have heard this at least once. I think it was an internet historian reading as well. Yeah. My favourite bit is um, uh, it was raining and snowing, so I was very happy. I saw some preps and put my middle finger on them. It just. There's so much to unpack there, but one of the most interesting yeah. things about that is the author in question. Because yeah, like, multiple like people have claimed to be this person. Multiple people have claimed to be. I think her name's Tara. Yeah. But, um. I don't think there's any definitive proof that any of them are actually her. No, and the original of the fanfic isn't up anymore, so no one can track down the account it was linked to. Um, and like the only are the fact that the author has put her friends in the fic as a self-insert. So mm-hmm. there are points where we talk about like the main character's best friends, and then we put it in brackets like, "Oh, be Raven, this is you." Um, but yeah, it's like. But you see, like even that—that that, that doesn't technically have to be accurate because my immortal is either a very very bad piece of literature or it's a really good satire of what the genre was like at the time because it echoes so many main tropes and self inserts so if that Mm. was done on purpose then there's no reason for those friends to be real people and not just you know bonus spice but if it is done unironically then they can be used it is proper like Homeric stuff, like. Mm. But yeah, it's it's just if it's a work of satire, it's one of the best ever written. I think that's a good place for us to move on to topic number three. Very nice. <laughs> um, so Caitlin, 
So, uh, topic this is Polari, isn't it? It is. So, Polari is something I'm like really, really interested in. Uh, I only learned about it fairly recently, but it's fascinating. So, Polari is, or was, uh, like a slang language used predominantly by gay men in urban areas from 1940 to 60s. And it, it developed before then, and it's you know, still like something is that's in the public consciousness. But it built up a lot after the 1960s, probably because gay people didn't need a secret language anymore because it's legal to be gay. Um, and obviously, elements of like Polari language that I think you can trace some interesting origins of that, uh, of um, Polari into like modern LGBTQ slang. But, um, yes. Yeah. But Polari's kind of got. <laughs> Dennis, yes. <laughs> I know how you're talking earlier about getting a trailer. That should just be it. <laughs> yeah, oh god, no! It's that just like a, a yeah, mournful yass. That's a true goth gay move. It is more powerful goths than the ones who were on Drag Race last week. Yes. That was appalling goth behaviour. Please step. I'm up really again. sad because I absolutely loved Veronica Green and love. I that just, she seemed very sweet, but I feel like she's really getting a bit ahead of herself now. Yeah, she thinks she's all that. Whereas actually, Bimini Bombu Lash is all about. Go <laughs> I just. But, um, did you see at the end? Um, I think we can talk about this. It's been a week. This is no, no longer spoilers. They had the lip sync at the end to the competition. Mm. And. Um, oh, what's her name? Oh my god, Ginny Lemon, yeah. Ginny Lemon just walked off. She was like, she no. <laughs> I'm not going to compete any further. I am just yeah. leaving. She just it's walked off the cool. stage, packed and, and left. Fair play to her. I, I respect that as a move. <laughs> sister sister was like grinding along the stage whipping her tiny ponytail <laughs> all on her own do you but think so she we... even fully clocked it was she too invested know. in like winning this competition to realize I... that the competitor had just gone nah <laughs> yeah yeah well, there's something like you'd have to be really aware of the other person just you weren't like, into each other because mm. when they like prance about the stage i'm always like you're gonna be careful health and safety <laughs> Exactly, but so Polari is like something we see in sort of kind of language use there. Um, it's kind of, it's got like very early origins. We can trace the of Polari back to like the late 1800s, and a lot of the slang is from like sailors speak because obviously sailors have like, had like you know historic association with this game. Um, yes. Not only because a lot of sailors were gay, but also because they were like considered sort of you know good trade, so trade. Uh, Polari term, which is still used, meaning like sort of, you know, a hot I young know this for fella. redacted reasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, no. don't, we don't <laughs> reference that, um, the TMA account. Never. <laughs> 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 it says I'm my dude, e dog. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but so, um, sailors, but also a lot of theatrical language, because again, um, a lot of actors in, uh, and obviously this is a generalization. But you know, had a high proportion of gay actors, and also a lot of it is Italian. Um, so it's like a kind of word, also adjust words like put backwards. So, so here, so here, I'm going to give you some examples of Polari sentences. So Polari is not a full language in the sense that it obviously relies on English and all Polari speaking region. Um, so it's substituting and out words um, to make enough to make it unintelligible. For example, for example, the police or not want to hear it. It was used in a lot of gay faces. Um, and it's also, it kind of, the way Flurry functions as a language, the words we have of it, reflect its function as a very social language. Like a lot of the words are about like going out on the town, 
there are a lot of about sex, about your friends. Um, um, like these two guys on YouTube made a sketch which is entirely in Polari. So you might say, oh hello, how bona tomada you dolly old eek. So that would mean, oh hello, how wonderful to see your lovely face. So bona is like a, you know, very all-purpose Polari word. It comes from Italian and it just means good. So you can use it like, you know, um, how bona, how good. Um, like, you can just having a bonus on so like, you know, if you had a um, bona bat, so that would mean you had lovely I feel like that has a different connotation now. <laughs> yes, yes, it does, sadly. But it's spelled like like B-O-N-A, so as in Bon or... Um, if you ever brought Polari back, though, people would not be thinking, oh, good, good, that's what that no. person has. <laughs> sadly not. But but so, like, how bona tavada your dolly odi? Gavada is another Italian, Italian eight word, meaning to see, so it's... Um, or, like, have a vada at that. And then Dolly is, is what we still hear, meaning like gorgeous or beautiful. So, um, so you might you might still hear like people who are attracted to Dolly, like oh she's such a Dolly girl, that kind of thing. Um, and eek is backslang. So the word face in Polari is ekaf, which is face backwards. It gets eek. Mm-hmm. A lot of words like that, like Polari for hair is raya, which is hair backwards. And then you get all these interesting compilations. So like your raya zhuzhu is your hairdresser. Because like zhuzh is sort of a polari term meaning just to like do up a bit or like sort of so like if you know zhuzhed your house you'd give it like a bit of a makeover and you sometimes hear that one still. So yeah, these are all. I hear that one say yes to the dress. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Or, or some of the ones about like um, you know words for people like trade for example are still around. Um, so some words are passed into like really common usage like uh, naff for example meaning like rubbish or useless. Like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, that film was um, That was a Polari term originally. So there's all these different examples of it. Um, and it was, you know, at its height, it probably wasn't like super widely spoken, especially because it was concentrated in urban areas. But um, it was, you know, a, a very, very much like a community code kind of thing. Um, but as time went on and it became less important, we gave people to have a secret language kind of dropped out of existence and people who spoke Polari were considered a bit like sort of, you know, old queens who were a bit past it and it was like, oh, we don't, don't they know, we're, you know the world's different now. Um, and it was considered a, a little bit lame. But Polari really entered like the general public just the gay consciousness with this radio show called um, Round the Horn. So right Round the Horn was like a sketch show but one of the sketches on it was these two guys called Julian and Sandy who were very, very camp gay men and they spoke in Polari a lot. So they opened every episode with like Bonus Party and Dolly Oldie um, and they used all different expressions for it Polari through it. And even though they aren't like, the audience kind of get the gist of what they're saying. And this was an important way for people to kind of understand what it was. And even though it was never explicitly said, this code like allowed all the listeners to tacitly acknowledge that they were gay and that was like it was considered quite a landmark because they were two of the first gay characters in popular entertainment who were openly very camp very gay but also like having a, a lot of fun they weren't characters who had a tragic you know story they weren't they didn't end in like a terrible punishment they were just having a laugh and so they're two important examples of how Larry became well known nice well um, um... We're kind of getting towards about 50 minutes, I think. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm going to have to trim the, the start yeah, yeah. off, so can't be too accurate. So, um, I was supposed to also do a round of questions. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
similar to Gina's. However, my excuse is not I woke up 20 minutes ago, it's I've been in a two hour seminar just before this. Oh no, ouch. So unless you wanted the questions to be themed around the squire's tale. Um, Ooh, no, I hate Chaucer is bad, that's my hot take. Oh, bold. <laughs> See, well, my, my hot take for my essay this week was Vincent Crusoe wants to fuck his name. Oh dear. It's true. I'm right. Um, my supervisor commented on one sec. Say, this is such a provocative statement that you need to back it up for the computer. And I was like, no, just trust me. <laughs> oh, I had to. Um... I did like an analysis of one of the Wilfred Owen poems uh, earlier oh, this yeah, week, baby. and um, which one? In, I could not tell you off the anthem for doomed youth. <gasps> I can't tell you off the top of my head. Um, in the feedback, he was like, "You've completely missed all the um, homoerotic implications within this poem," and I was like, "Yes, because I analysed it at A levels, and Mister <laughs> said soldiers aren't gay." Oh, I'm going to have to cut his name out. <laughs> <laughs> Redacted teacher is... Redacted, yeah. He was like, we're not doing that. This is my English. Also, I don't believe in feminism because I'm a man. Here's the hilarious joke. Uh, how, how do you know your wife doesn't need a clock? There's a clock on the oven. Um, and I said, I don't get it. I don't how you can teach war poetry without acknowledging that all of the writers of it are gay and I mean all of them like Robert Graves wrote in his autobiography oh yeah me and Siegfried to say there was something going on there um yeah that is accurate war poems do be gay but they um do. I can't remember what I was going to say oh, yeah, we're at that yes when... speed yeah. round of questions I have to yes. come up with some um <laughs> I'm trying to think. Last time we asked Tori if she wanted to promote anything, and she said, "If your child is going to be a Scorpio, get an abortion." <laughs> so um, she's right. But do you have anything you would want to promote besides abortion? Even if you beat me, by Sally Rooney. If you want to learn more about the artists and writers of the fanfic, there are a lot of different things you can read. But you could, if you like, read my article about Oscar Wilde. <laughs> um, so if you Google Caitlin Farrell Oscar Wilde, I should come up. Um, that, that was very lame. Of me, I'm sorry. Um, that was a big promo. If you want to learn about Polari, I would really recommend Fabulosa by Paul Baker, which is a fantastic history of Polari. It's one of my like major sources for learning about it, and it's also the first ever full-length history of Polari. So although there's been like you know articles about it, or it's been mentioned in like large which one was that? Uh, Fabulosa by Paul Baker about Polari, and it's excellent i very very much enjoyed it and when i dm'd him on instagram he replied so yeah uh these are topics which i love very much as you can tell from my excited infidelity and thank you very very much gina and you for having me on the podcast and have a lovely time um no problem <laughs> gina would you like to add anything um i, I don't really know thank um, you for that addition <laughs> be interesting to see what happens uh, next time, considering we've had a very in-depth intellectual podcast this time around. Yeah, I feel like we're really, we're going for every genre. Like, last week we were chat show, this week we are your lecturers. Pay us 9k. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) You need to put a headphone warning for people. (laughs) Headphone warning. I want your money. (laughs) 
Oh, is Patreon is one thing. Um, I'll probably our next episode might be a a little extra, not within the every other week um, schedule, because we might be watching a film. There might be a film review coming up. Oh yeah, we may do that. Maybe we may do that. What film? We do not know yet. That will be decided on the really. Yeah, bonus episodes maybe. That's in development. Yeah, we we don't know for sure yet. Uh, other than that, what is one thing you want to happen this year? Like, if you could manifest something, besides the obvious, which is, you know, yeah. no COVID. Um, oh. I would like to get better at competitive debate um, and keep, you know, enjoying my degree. Also, I would like to see my friends more because it's so sad that we're all alone. So yeah, that and... Um, I also want to figure out how to get my bouffant higher because I love 1960s hairstyling. I've been doing this really cute, like Bridget Bardo style, but I can't get my bouffant high enough yet. So hopefully one day. Personally, I want Pitbull to collaborate with Hatsune Miku. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, um, yeah, I think we might just have to leave it there then. Mm. Thank you so much. This has been really, really great. Um, Thank you for coming on to the podcast. Listening. Thank yes, you, and I, I look forward to hearing more episodes. <laughs> Will there be more episodes? Who knows? <laughs> Stay tuned, kiddos. You have to listen every week because it could be your last. <laughs> or our last. <laughs> I'm not telling. I'm, I'm excited. Probably more likely our last. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited thinking about other people who'll come on it and what, what they'll say. And, um, I'm just trying to imagine what other people episodes are going to look like because I think me and Tori are two people so it's quite obvious how our episodes are going to turn out mm. because of what kind of people we are yeah that, that's yeah, a fair point because we're both I don't know you might, you might say distinctive <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a good place to leave it but, <laughs> yeah. um, since we've tried now. to do this outro how many times now yeah. I'm just gonna take over oh my and God, say, I'm so sorry. see yeah, you all I'll next stop. time. It's fine. We didn't even ostracize a community this time. <laughs> oh, no, I we need... need to pick one. Quick. Um, straight men. <laughs> no, no, we have fans from that category. Pick a different one. You no longer have fans from that category. No, I'm please. <laughs> no, um, okay, I don't ostracize straight men. Um, competitive debaters who are not okay. Caitlin. You're no longer welcome. <laughs> we don't like your industry. We're not here for it. I'll, I'll do it now. Forever. Goodbye. Goodbye.